Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover Wild Problems by Russ Roberts, a guide to the decisions that define us. This is book 41 of 52 for my 2022 reading list. Well, I've now read every single book by Russ Roberts. He has six of them, and I read the first five last year, and then just read this one, Wild Problems, his sixth book, uh, just in this past week. I have listened to Russ's podcast, which is Econ Talk, since 2013, so that's almost 10 years. And he does a weekly podcast. He usually reads a book and then interviews the author, and they talk about the ideas of the book. And the thing I love most about that podcast is that Russ is open to changing his mind. And you, you, you hear this happen, you almost hear the, the wheels turning in his head as he's hearing this, this idea or an argument. And even if it's something that is a long-held idea or belief that he has, he is open to changing that in, in the presence of better information. And you, you see that happening in this book as well, because Russ is a trained economist, and economists have this idea on, on how people make decisions and what they try to maximize and that sort of thing. And, and as Russ has, has gone on in life, he's seen that, well, that's, that's not always the case. And there's, there's a lot more nuance than than economics gives credit for. And yeah, yes, economics, uh, maybe it's providing frameworks to look at, to look at, uh, things, but also let's, let's look at this in a more nuanced way. And, and, and so that ties in very well with this, this book. So there's a question posed on page seven, and this is the question. If the important things are hard to measure, and the measurable things misleading, what kind of decision framework is left? So Russ defines two types of problems or situations that require decisions. And these are, as the title would suggest, uh, the first one is wild problems, and there's also tame problems. So wild problems, here's his definition for for, uh, what a wild problem is. And this is right at the beginning on page two. A wild problem is a fork in the road of life where knowing which path is the right one isn't obvious. Where the pleasure and the pain from choosing one path over another are ultimately hidden from us. Where the path we choose defines who we are and who we might become. End quote. Later on in the book, on page 105, he says, wild problems are not the kinds of problems with answers. End quote. He talks then about Darwin, Charles Darwin. And Darwin is thinking about getting married, and he takes the, he he just makes a pro-con list of the pros of marriage and the cons of marriage. And Russ says, this is the wrong framework. You do not take a pro-con list to a wild problem. Well, what is the correct framework to use? Well, you, it's, not enough, it's not possible to collect all the information that you would need to make a decision like that, like, should I get married or not? You just, you don't know. And one of the main reasons you don't know is what Russ calls the vampire problem. And the vampire problem goes like this. Until you are a vampire, you don't really know what it's like. And secondly, your tastes change after becoming a vampire. 
So let's say before you're a vampire, you like to drink Bloody Marys. Well, after becoming a vampire, you like to eat Bloody Marys. And so that's two completely different things. And it's hard for you to know before you like eating Bloody Marys. Uh, it's hard for you to know what that would be like. So he, he applies this to marriage as well. The only way to understand marriage is to get married. And, and once you become married, you will change. And so how, before you make that decision to get married, how, what's the framework, what's the best way to approach a, that kind of a decision? What's great about this book is it is not a how-to manual. It is not a 1,000-page book that covers all the different scenarios that might come up in how to make a decision, uh, uh, big decisions about specific things in life. Instead, this provides a framework for thinking, a way to distinguish the types of problems, and then uh, some different methods to apply, different frameworks to apply to those types of problems. And the further I go in this reading journey and, and the, uh, the more books that I read, I, I just continue to see more and more how helpful having frameworks are. And yes, frameworks can be limited. They, uh, they don't cover everything. But, it, but having some frameworks just to at least start with, very helpful. And so this book is helpful in, in that sense of just, you know, here's a couple types of, of problems. Here's uh, some ways that you can go about that. So I'll, I'll go through that in the next segment. Uh, some, some, the types of problems, the types of decisions and, and that sort of thing. And then in the final segment, segment three, I'll cover the one thing, my one key takeaway from this episode. Before the, before I do that, uh, I like covering the reading stats, just so you have an idea of, of how long this book might take you to read. So it's a 191 page book. I read it in just under three hours, and that was over a two-day period, so it was 96 pages per day. The reason I share this, too, is I am not a fast reader. I don't try to try to speed read. I, I, I don't believe in speed reading. And so that should give you a pretty good indication of how long it'll take you to read this book. I read rather slowly. I'm taking notes and all that, and, and that time includes all that. So you're looking at about three hours, which is a very wise investment of your time to read this book. So coming up next, uh, the, the, the de types of decisions and ways to approach those decisions with, with the framework Russ talks about. If you think this is a book that you would want to read or give to a friend or family member, I would encourage you to buy it from Landmark Booksellers in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm the business manager there, and it is a magical place. Uh, we're just 20 miles south of Nashville, so if, if you're ever in town, come by. But I will link to this book in the show notes where you can buy it right from Landmark. And if you use Books of Titans altogether as the coupon code, that'll give you 10% off. We can ship anywhere in the United States. We can actually ship anywhere in the world if you uh, don't mind the shipping costs. And that would that's probably the best way that you can support this podcast. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, now back to the book. I uh, in, in How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life by Russ Roberts, a book that I read last year, I covered that in a podcast episode. And, and as I do, uh, as I finish my episodes, I covered the one thing, my one key takeaway. And my one takeaway from that book was that Russ identified that Adam Smith, so we know Adam Smith from the Wealth of Nations and this, this idea of the invisible hand, uh, just moving things along in, in the economy just by everybody doing their daily thing. There's no, 
there's no master of the universe who's who's has his finger in every his or her finger in everything and is controlling everything. But just everybody by their what they do on a daily basis, that there, there's this invisible hand that just kind of makes it work in the economy. So that's on the economic side. But Adam Smith also wrote another book called Theory of Moral Sentiments, and in that book. Uh, what Russ, Russ Roberts identified, and that, which was my one thing, is that the invisible hand also applies to the moral sphere. And so your daily decisions, the things you do on a daily basis, your small decisions, those impact this broader moral universe. And it may seem absurd, like, well, what does me, what does what I do on a daily basis have anything to do? But it impacts your family. It impacts the people around you. It impacts your community and your culture, and there is an invisible hand that kind of works within that. And so uh, what direction is a culture moving? Well, that's based on all these small decisions that people are, are making on a daily basis. So that ties in very well with this book, which is a book about decision-making. And as I mentioned in the first segment, there's The Wild Problems, which is the title of this book. And then Russ contrast those with tame problems. Uh, I would also suggest there's there's kind of a third level of problems as well. And those, let's just call them general problems. I mean, these are the things that you you shouldn't really be thinking about. They're, they're just, they're so basic that uh, you can just kind of have a general rule that applies to those. So let me just go through how we approach each of these types of decisions, uh, how Russ talks about them. So if we're talking about a general problem, then the, then the rule is 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 kind of the best thing. Just a, a basic rule. So a, a dumb rule I have is no donuts. I don't eat donuts. I love donuts, but I, I just, I have a rule, so no donuts. I buy donuts every week for my daughters. And I make a conscious decision. that it, it Actually, I don't make a decision anymore because I've already made the decision and that rule's in place. And then I just don't eat donuts. And just think of how much internal dialogue that cuts out in my life. I don't go to the donut store anymore and think, gosh, should I, should I buy a third donut? I, I bought two for my daughter. Should I buy a third? Gosh, I really like them, but I don't, you know, I, I, I want to stay healthy. Um, I don't have that dialogue going on anymore because I've got that basic rule set up. This can pl- apply to so many different areas. So that's for general problems. What about tame problems? These are just kind of your more general problems. I mean, you want to think about them. You want to think about the decision. Uh, So it's a step up from general, but it's not not a wild problem either. Well, you can kind of take Darwin's approach there and and, and do a pro-con list because that just helps you think it through a little bit more. So that's a good approach for a tame problem. But what what about a wild problem? Because you can't, you can't go with a pro-con list to a wild problem. And Russ says the main reason for that is you just don't know enough about the decision. You don't know how it's going to change you. You don't know all of the, you don't have enough data to, to do a pro-con list. And so how do you approach that? Well, 
Russ talks about flourishing. And if you listen to his podcast at all, he, he talks about this quite a bit. But let me read this, uh, what he says about flourishing, because I, I think this is really helpful. There are two everyday senses of the word flourish. One is to be successful, usually in a material, financial sense. The second, the one I'm using here, describes something organic and alive. Something flourishes by becoming something beautiful and worthy of admiration. We human beings flourish by taking our circumstances and making the most of them in fulfilling our human potential, end quote. So we've got flourishing, but then he takes it a step further. So on page 70, he says, but when it came to who I am and who I want to be, it was a no-brainer in the other direction, end quote. So Russ is talking about a decision he made here to move away from the United States where he had a very nice job, uh, and he moved with his wife to Jerusalem to become president of Shalem College. And Part of that decision making, you know, do, do you make a pro con list? You, 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 you can't possibly understand how things are going to change of taking a job you've never had, uh, or, or one that's going to be more challenging you've never you've ever had moving to a completely different culture. Uh, you, you just can't do a pro con list in that that sense. So he moves to, yes, flourishing, but but almost a, a step up from flourishing of identity. His identity uh, and who he wants to be, that decision to become president at Shalem College was right in line and aligned with that identity. So yes, flourishing. So he, he kind of ties together flourishing and identity there. And then there's this part, like an aspirational identity. And he even ties that back to Darwin. So spoiler alert here, but Darwin does end up getting married. And as part of that, Russ says he, Darwin, aspired to be a better man than he was when he was single. So not only does he want to get married, he wants to be a better man. So there's this aspirational identity in the decision making as well. So if you're considering a wild problem uh, approach or framework, uh, first, you're thinking, is this? It, will I be flourishing in this decision? Uh, and then, it, does it fit in with with who I want to be and who I am? Tied to that, though, is is this the best decision? And here's where Russ says that is not the right thing to ask with a wild problem. He says the quest for a best for best is a mistake with wild problems. It implies a scalar, a unidimensional unidimensional measurement, a number that I can use to compare two choices, and that just doesn't exist. You can't come up with a number just again because you you don't know what it's going to be like, and you are going to change once you once you get on the other side of that decision. The best doesn't exist, and it's not just because they're hard to find. It's a it's not a meaningful concept. End quote. So that, that's just another helpful thing, because if you're approaching a wild problem and you think there's the, the right or the best solution at the end of it, there's not. And it's not a helpful way to think about it. But if you can think about it of what, is, what will be the most flourishing for me, for those around me, or uh, what, what fits best with who I am and, and who I want to be, those are better frameworks to consider your wild problems. Next up in segment three, I will cover my one thing, my one key takeaway from Wild Problems. Well, when I read a book like this, I, uh, I think back to a lot of my decisions over my life. 
And uh, I, I try to think of them in, in these terms of, of uh, was that a wild problem? Was that a tame problem? How did I go about my decision making? And with a book like this, it's very easy to, uh, to start getting down and, and uh, depressed and just thinking at, about some of those decisions and did I make the right decision and, and that kind of thing. And there was a, a paragraph I want to read that was, that was so helpful in, in that. And I, I, I want to share it because I, I hope it helps you. And, and, and it's my one thing. It's, it's my one key takeaway from this book and the thing that has been the most helpful. And, and it's on page 166 and 167. And, and here it is. Life choices that turn out differently from what we hoped aren't mistakes. They're just choices that turned out differently than we hoped. We shouldn't call those mistakes. You shouldn't beat yourself up over, over, over them. Forgive yourself. Wild problems that don't turn out well aren't mistakes. They're more like adventures. Adventures have twists and turns and ups and downs. If it turns out badly, cut it short. If it turns out well, enjoy the ride. This beats trying to figure out in advance with any precision which adventures are the best ones. End quote. I loved that. Uh, don't beat yourself up. Don't call them mistakes. Uh, they're just choices that turned out differently than we hoped. It was very helpful for me in, th in thinking back. And in, in general, the book was just helpful in, in moving forward and thinking of a framework. I wanted to highlight two other things that I really enjoyed in this book. And the first was on page 64, and he's talking about a spiritual practice, and he's contrasting that with a hobby. So let me read this. Having a hobby like golfing can be relaxing. It can be an oasis of calm and take your mind off whatever else is stressful in your life. A spiritual practice, meditation, or religion can have the same, same effect. But the ideal of a spiritual practice is for it to transcend the time you spend meditating or in religious devotion. It should transform you in some way and change not just what you feel, but who you are. And who you are, in turn, affects how you treat others and move through the world. At the same time, a spiritual practice can elevate your day-to-day -day experience of beauty, of sadness, of, of the small and the large. End quote. But I loved that. Uh, it, it should transcend the time that you spend meditating, and it should transform you. So, it, it, I, I, I really love that idea. Uh, if The time you're spending on a spiritual practice should transcend just that. It shouldn't just be for that time period. It should extend into your life. It should transcend just that time period into the rest of your life. I love that idea. And then just that it should transform you as well. So transcend and transform. Uh, another quote here uh, that <laughs> Russ talks about, don't go into a conversation with an itinerary. Don't go into a conversation with an itinerary. And I am so guilty of this. I, I will plan out what I want to say to people. Like if I'm meeting with somebody, I'll kind of have in my mind, like, you know, here are the things I want to say. And he said, don't do that because you, you miss out. You're thinking about that the entire time. And so I, I was thinking, you know, like sometimes when I'm meeting with somebody, I, I do have things that I want to make sure I say. So maybe I can just kind of write those down. And then at the end of my time with that person, I can just look at that list quickly and, and make sure I've gone over everything. But don't go into the conversation with an itinerary. That's something that I need to 
to work on. And, and I think it'll help relationships a lot, just where I'm, I'm more engaged. I'm not trying to guide the conversation in a particular way. I'm just, I'm just there. And yeah, that, that quote kind of busted me and just made me want to, to, to do things differently. So to recap this book, this is this, if you're looking for a gift for a college grad, this would be a great book. Uh, that college grad is about to have some major, major decisions. It's a great book for any point of life uh, as well. But especially like if you are a college grad, uh, you should read this. Or if, if you're giving a book to a college grad, this, this would be a great one. Again, it, it provides a helpful framework for decision making. And then to, to first off, just distinguish be, between the different types of decisions that will come up. You've got the tame, you've got wild, uh, you've also got just kind of basic general. Not all decisions are equal, and you should not attempt to fit your decisions within, you should not attempt to solve the, these problems or, or approach these decisions in the same way. With easy ones, you can handle those with general rules. If it's a tame problem, you can handle that with a pro-con list. If it's a wild problem, well, you need to consider what a flourishing looks life looks like for you. You need to consider your direction in life, you know, the small decisions you're making on a daily basis, and then how that applies to your identity. And that'll help with wild problems. And, and if you kind of tie it back to the easy ones as well, if you're making these daily decisions and uh, in, in daily habits, those are going to impact who you're becoming. And then that's going to tie in with the wild problems of the direction you're moving and the identity that your aspirational identity. And so do 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 your decisions, do these wild problems and, and the decisions you make with those, do they fit in with a flourishing life and with the identity you hope to have? Again, this is not a this is not a book that lists every type of problem and then gives you the the exact solution. This is more of a framework for approaching these decisions. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear what you uh, think of Russ Roberts. Maybe you've read other books of his. Um, if you want to share those thoughts, uh, or especially if you've read Wild Problems, if you got something out of it, which happens all the time, I love talking to people about books because we usually get completely different things. So I'd love to hear what you got out of this book. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought. Uh, please buy this book from the link in the show notes and use Books of Titans to, for 10% off. That'll do it for, for today. Uh, thank you for listening and keep reading, keep listening, and keep thinking. I'm out. <laughs>